Would you open your Bibles to Psalm 69? We've been in several psalms this morning, and I'd like to continue this theme of thanksgiving for just a few minutes. I promise you this is not a 45-minute message. Um, It will be an abbreviated version, probably only 41 or 42 Headline that caught my eye this week, neuroscience reveals gratitude literally rewires your brain to be happier. Some of you may have seen this. This was an article that I saw on Facebook, one of my friends. And it is quite fascinating, really. This is not written from a Christian perspective. It's strictly a a psychological study that had been done. Psychologists published a study all the way back in 2015, that looked at the physical outcomes of practicing gratitude. Listen to this. One-third of the subjects in the study were asked to keep a daily journal of things that happened during the week for which they were grateful. Another third was asked to write down daily irritations or events that had displeased them. The last third of the group was asked to write down daily situations and events with no emphasis on either positive or negative emotional attachment. At the end of the 10-week study, each group was asked to record how they felt physically and generally about life. The gratitude group reported feeling more optimistic and positive about their lives than the other groups. In addition, the gratitude group was more physically active and reported fewer visits to a doctor than those who wrote only about their negative experiences. Other research, this article goes on to say, into the physical effects of gratitude report even more tangible results. Focusing on the positive and feeling grateful can improve your sleep quality and reduce feelings of anxiety and depression. Furthermore, levels of gratitude correlate to better moods and less fatigue and inflammation, reducing the risk of heart failure, even for those who are susceptible. And the article goes on to describe a number of benefits from the health side of life to the emotional side of life, even recommending things as simple as keeping a daily journal of things you are grateful for. The best times for writing in your journal are apparently either in the morning as your day begins or at night before you sleep. And the second recommendation was to make a a point to tell people in your life what you appreciate about them on a daily basis. And in conclusion, the article states, though the power, through the power of gratitude, you can wire your brain to be optimistic and compassionate, making you feel good. The more you look, the more you can find to be grateful for. This positivity can extend to those around you, creating a virtuous cycle. Well, as King Solomon said long ago, there is nothing new under the sun. And although that's a more recent study, the Lord himself knows the power of gratitude and thankfulness. And he has actually designed it into his plan that his people those who name the name of Christ, who follow him by faith, would be people who actively engage in gratitude. And the psalm before us has four verses that I want to direct your attention to. So look at Psalm 69, verse 30. Here, this is a psalm of David. David writes, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. That has reference to a sacrifice. And and we're out of that practice now, but in the Old Testament time, as the people of God assembled, they would always bring some kind of physical offering uh, to, to lay before the Lord. 
verse 32. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive, for the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. The praise and thanksgiving referred to in this particular psalm remind us of the power of gratitude. Look at verse 30 with me and notice the particular uh, testimony of David as he says, I will do, and he names two things that probably are for the most part synonymous. It's personal praise. I will praise. And, and the verbal uh, construct here is such that it, it, it tries to capture as much as it can a strong desire on the part of David to verbally express what he admires about God or that sense of awe that he has about God. This language expresses a strong personal resolution. And again, the, the two categories emerge that we were using earlier, praising God for who He is. Now, in particular, he speaks of the name of God, doesn't he? And he says, I will praise the name of God with a song. Did you know that the names of God reveal truth? Paul made allusion to this, and he spoke of a, of a different name of God. It's the very special name, the name Yahweh or Jehovah, as it has been known through many hundreds of years to English-speaking people, the great I am. And I appreciated the emphasis that Paul drew out. I would fully agree. At its essence, it speaks of God as the self-existent one, a God with no beginning, no end, a God who doesn't need to be re-energized by so much as a little power nap, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, unchangeable, immutable, glorious in every aspect. Well, the name Yahweh or Jehovah reveals truth to us about him. But the name that David speaks of in this psalm is the name Elohim. It's actually the first name used of God in Genesis 1. It speaks of God as the mighty creator. The Hebrews in their language don't use the letter S to identify plurals as we sometimes do. They have a little different ending, and it's the two letters that translate into English, I am, I am. And Elohim is, a, is actually a plural word, and some people have tried to get a little theological mileage out of that and say, well, maybe God is a, a, a plurality of gods, like there's more than one of them. He's part of a group of gods. Well, that's not actually how the, the, the psalmist or any of the Old Testament would use it. It actually employs a, a plural uh, to highlight his greatness, or we might even say his majesty. Elohim is used more than 2,500 times in the Bible, and, and it is a, a word that communicates the complexity and majesty of the one true God. And you will sometimes, actually often, see it paired with Yahweh, and in English that translates into Lord God. So when you see Lord in all caps, that has reference to Yahweh or the, the name Jehovah. And when you see God or sometimes Lord with lowercase letters, that is typically Elohim. So the self-existent one, the mighty creator God is in view. And David, in this particular verse, says, I will praise the name of Elohim with a song. And now this, 
becomes very interesting to us. We've actually been practicing this already, but this pushes us to the second category, praising God for what he does. I'll come back to the idea of, of song here in just a moment. Now, the particular work of God that's in view in David's psalm, you could find in verse 33. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. And we've heard testimonies this morning, haven't we, of God hearing prayer and answering. I, I appreciated Steve's candor to say God has answered some of our prayers and others he has not. Maybe that's because it's still in process of being answered. It's not the time for God to affirm it by giving or granting what was requested. Or maybe God in his wisdom knows that to give the thing you've asked for would not be best for you ultimately. And so in his kindness, he withholds those things. The people of God have always known that this God hears and acts on our behalf. And David even says he does not despise his own people. Isn't it marvelous to know we're praying to a God that never looks at you or me when we come in our praying as an imposition? Every parent has felt irritated that a child showed up at a moment that's not convenient, right? Even grandparents sometimes are a little irritable. Go figure. But you know, God is never irritated or put off or inconvenienced when you and I approach him. And you think of how many millions of people at any given moment are praying to God. And some of you are like, you know what, that shows right there, he's a different kind of heavenly father than I am. Because if you've ever had more than, well, sometimes all it takes is one child to come through the door, and you're like, it's too much, can't handle this. Go away and come back later. Not this God. Not Elohim. He hears, and to say he does not despise, actually, the point is not just he's indifferent or not irritated. The, the point, rather, is he's open to you, open-hearted, gracious and generous. And David says, I'm going to praise you for who you are and for what you've done with a song. Now, singing is not unique to Christians, is it? Music is part of the human existence and no other creature makes music the way human beings do. Some make a beautiful kind of music, even in Hawaii last week. It, uh, roosters crow all day and all night. Um, and there were some in our neighborhood. They're all over the island. And I'm thinking, you know, at one, one night I was awake and a rooster is crowing. And I looked at my watch and I'm thinking, it's 1.30 in the morning. The sun will not be up for a while. But when the sun did begin to just lighten the eastern sky a little bit, there, there was a point almost every morning where the songbirds began. And that's a beautiful sound. But there are no words that are discernible there. And human beings begin to sing, and we put words, and typically very meaningful words, words that either express our emotion or our wonder or our sadness and sorrow, all kinds of reasons that humanity sings, but the people of God sing in a different way and for different reasons. Psalm 40, verse 3, is a testimony of a redeemed individual who says, God put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And Psalm 96, verses 1 through 4, look at this. 
Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. And now notice how it gets really specific. In that song, what do we do? We bless his name. We tell of his salvation from day to day. We declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples, for great is the Lord. There's the reason, ultimately, that God's people sing, because he's great, and he deserves to be praised. That's what the phrase greatly to be praised is about. He's to be feared above all gods. There's just no one like him. And there are times where it actually is... is more desirable that we express his truth with a musical accompaniment than to just stand up and state, God is glorious, God is loving, God is good. And so when you were engaged in song this morning, you're doing the very thing that the scriptures call us and compel us to do. The people of God sing for the express purpose of telling truth and declaring the great weight of God among the nations of the earth. But look at the text again. Go back to verse 30. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. And I, and I want to run with this thought for a little bit. You know, there are two different types of magnification, aren't they? The first kind of magnification would be the magnification of a microscope. And, and that's a magnification that takes something that's really small and makes it appear to be bigger. And some of you have, have studied microbiology and what a fascinating world uh, exists below our capacity to see it. There's a second kind of magnification, that'd be the magnification of a telescope. And that actually takes a, a, what is perceived to be a small object, but because of its distance it appears to be small, and it, it brings it nearer so that we're actually able to see it for what it is and appreciate it in its size and magnitude you know if you look at the western sky you might see uh, the planets and often in the early evening jupiter and venus sometimes appear in the sky i pulled this off of nasa's website as an example of how something that really seems obscure if not tiny uh, has a greater existence than we really can appreciate from this vantage point. Jupiter is a remarkable 480 million miles from the sun, 365 million miles from us. That's why it appears to be so small. But the diameter of this planet is actually 88,700 miles. And if you want to know how that compares to Earth, we are a small and insignificant 7,917 miles in diameter. The mass of Jupiter is about 318 times the mass of Earth. It has 16 moons. We have one. It spins at its equator at 28,273 miles per hour, rotating once every 9.8 hours. And as compared to the Earth, we're rotating about 1,000 miles per hour at the equator. And our rotation, as you would know, is about 24 hours. Jupiter makes one revolution around the sun every 11.86 years. Its surface temperature is a, an astonishing negative 244 degrees, and you thought it was cold this morning. <laughs> the surface gravity is 2.64 that of the Earth, and that's not good news for those who may be going to Jupiter for Thanksgiving because you will weigh much more there 
at the end of the week than you would weigh here. Just stay on planet Earth and eat some turkey and you'll be in better shape than if you were on Jupiter. But to the naked eye, Jupiter is nothing more than a speck of light in the night sky. And without magnification, you could live your life and never recognize that there are things like Jupiter that are greater and more substantial and mind-boggling than you could ever imagine. And those are statistics about a planet that has no capacity to sustain itself, create its own existence. But you know what? There are people on planet Earth today who think of God in about the same way they think of Jupiter. He's just a little dot on the distant horizon. And yet God, this God, is the greatest reality in the universe. And if you live your life and come to the end of your days and die passing from this life into the next without ever having come face to face with God, without ever having understood that he created you and designed you to be in relationship with him, that by your sin you have offended him and need his forgiveness and salvation. If you live out your days with no knowledge of the greatest being in the universe, you will actually perish it's not simply that you missed an opportunity in this life to know about him, like if you didn't go to science class in eighth grade, you missed an opportunity to learn about Jupiter. No, you have to know about this God, or it's deadly. And beloved, this is the great privilege and responsibility that rests upon us in this week of all weeks in the year to express gratitude and thanksgiving to magnify God for others to see, to live life in such a way that people recognize there is a being in the universe whose glory, whose weight is so massive that of course I have to relate to him. Of course I have to live for him, talk to him, pray to him, serve him, humble, him, humble myself before him. Now there will be some that as you magnify the Lord in this particular way will think you to be crazy. I had an unexpected opportunity this past week to share the gospel with a man that I met at a coffee shop. His name, ironically, is Emmanuel, Manny for short. He told me what is actually a sad story to this point. He, he grew up, first of all, in a religious home, probably a lot like what Chelly described. Uh, but then as a junior hire, um, his mom took him to a different kind of church. And from what he described, I think it was actually a gospel-preaching church. And he said, I did that. I heard the stories. I know where you're coming from. I then entered college as a psychology major, and I realized there are no such things as leprechauns, unicorns, or God. And when I heard that, I was crushed because I thought, oh, do not put God in the category of fairy tale beings and imaginary creatures. He's the greatest reality in the universe. And we talked, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes. Kristen was patiently waiting in the parking lot talking with Kevin. But I thought to myself, here is a man whose name is the living testimony. Going back to what Becky said earlier, that God is with us. And yet he laughs at me, laughs at you, because we believe that the God of the Bible exists as he reveals himself to be. 
I've prayed for Manny every day since then. I hope I will meet him again one day. We talked about heaven and hell, eternal life and this life now. And he made a joke out of hell itself and said, you know why I've asked my family to create, cremate me at my death? And I said, no. He said, I told him so I can get used to the heat. And I thought, oh, Manny, you don't know what you say. To him, God is nothing more than a distant glimmer of light on the horizon. But he will stand before God one day, won't he? And he will give account for the words that he's spoken and the thoughts that he's formed. And if he dies rejecting God, there will be hell to pay. What a grim thought. But what a privilege to be one of those, I'm sure one of of many that God has probably sent into this man's life who by a few words or by life choices that we make or even as next-door neighbors or co-workers, we're, we're just training the telescope of people's eyesight Godward. And that's what David is saying when he says, I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Two results very quickly. Verse 31, So also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that hath horns and hooks. So our praise pleases the Lord, And then it it encourages others. The humble see it. They'll be glad. And you know, it's interesting that in in verse 33, he mentions the prisoners. Well, those are actually people probably exiled. People who aren't where they want to be. And I thought, you know, this is a season where we, and I included a little thought like this in our our end of the week email. We love to sing that song this time of year. There's no place like home for the holidays. Unless, of course, you're not home for the holidays, and then you're like, I don't want to hear that song. But you know, as the people of God, we're never really home in this world, are we? The Thanksgiving dinner I'm looking forward to enjoying is the Thanksgiving dinner at my Heavenly Father's table. And Jesus knew we would feel that sense of we're not quite home, and we would feel some of that anxiety and stress. I mean, he, He's left His disciples. He sends the Holy Spirit. We're thankful for that, but we're not home and so jesus said don't let your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid in my father's house are many rooms what i've told you this if i were not going to prepare a place for you and if i go i will come again and the promise is that where jesus is we will be with him that's going to be a great thanksgiving gathering so you know what no this week isn't going to be everything we long for Praise God for family and friends that we'll be able to spend a little time with. I was talking with a few of you, all kinds of, some of you have the whole week off, some of you have like a few hours off. A day is coming, though, when we'll gather with our Father in heaven, and he'll spread a feast, and there'll be nothing to diminish your joy. We testify of those things by faith right now. When the humble see it, they will be glad You who seek God, let your hearts revive, for the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Our praise is pleasing to God. And our praise, if you could look at that little graphic, it's kind of like looking through a lens. Magnifies him. You did it this morning. Thank you. 
Don't let it stop here. Don't let it be confined to this service this morning. You go out of this place and every opportunity you have this week to just magnify the Lord, to speak of his greatness, his glory, talk about who he is, talk about what he has done. Because there are people all around us that haven't even had time or energy to look into the sky and say, you know that little dot there? Is that different? And someone like you comes along and says, yes, let me tell you, not just about Jupiter, let me tell you about the greatest being in all the universe.